two weeks ago, I talked about uh, when God doesn't make sense and uh, concluded that message of when God doesn't make sense, what are we supposed to do? Does anyone remember what we're supposed to do when God doesn't make sense? Trust, yes. We talked about trust. And so that was the answer. When God doesn't make sense, what do you do? Because there's a lot of things in life when God doesn't make sense. And we're in, uh, I, I know not only us, but a, a number of us are in, from our perspective, difficult, difficult circumstances, and God doesn't make sense. And so what do we do is trust. So how do we trust? What does trust look like is what I want to talk about here this morning. We know we need to trust God. The Bible talks about trusting God, and I mentioned that the, the, the Hebrew word for trust is betak, and that is in the Bible 158 times. And so trusting is, 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 is huge in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, where we need to trust. King James uses the word 134 times, and there are several different other versions, but there's a, often a lot of times in Scripture that the Bible tells us to trust. But what does that look like? Really, what is, what is trust? Uh, the Webster's uses, uh, uses, gives a description of reliance or faith. And when I was studying this, it is amazing how, how trust and, and faith, there's a lot, lot of times, they, I mean, they, they really come hand in hand when you talk about trusting because you also have to have faith when you're trusting. And obviously, when you think of uh, trust, or faith, I should say. You think of, probably think of Hebrews 11, where it, talks, it gives the, the description of it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so trust and faith have a lot of similarities. And if you look at the men and ladies in Hebrews 11, and you look at their lives, and most of us probably know all of their stories, yes, they had faith, but they also had to trust in God in doing things. For them, a lot of them were given assignments. God gave them something to do, and they had to trust in God that when they do their part, God will do His part. So there was a lot of there's a lot of trust in Hebrews chapter 11 as well. But we're going to look at one story, and I'm specifically going to look at Jesus and how he trusted, and when he trusted. And a very important moment in his life that we're going to learn in a little bit of how he trusted in a difficult situation. So we're going to look at that in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read verses 26 through 49. And this is uh, Jesus' crucifixion and then also Jesus' last words. So that's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning is uh, in Luke chapter 23, verses 26. I'm going to read that. Luke 23, verse 26. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him, and women, and also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, breasts which never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. 
For if they do these things in the green wood, they will also be in the dry. Then there were two other criminals led with him to put to death. When he had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But when the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he's the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering rebuke, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said unto him, As surely I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44, Now it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was torn in two. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or some... some uh, Translations use the word entrust. Jesus is saying, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Having said this, he breathes his last. So when the centurion saw what happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. When the whole crowd who came together into that site, seeing what had been done, they beat their breasts, they returned, but all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. All right, so here we have a crucifixion scene. Now, uh, a, a crucifixion, this was not the first time that a crucifixion happened. All right, let's put ourselves back in their shoes. There was lots of crucifixions. This was just another one, okay? They had, uh, this wasn't new for these people. This was something that I'm guessing probably happened quite often, all the time to where they had crucifixion or, or they would crucify people. Uh, there was murders, there were thieves, there was criminals, uh, whatever reasoning they had to crucify people, they did. Some that were deserved to die. Jesus had two thieves on either side of him. They probably had more, you know, were deserved uh, more of a death than Jesus did. But so, this could be an average day, could be a normal day. Oh, we're just going to crucify these people. But I think everything was a little different in this situation because of Jesus and his trial. And now Jesus' trial was over, right? But I think there was probably some anticipation on just knowing the life of Jesus, what this guy did, okay? Jesus, this was a guy who did miracles. He did heal. He did raise the dead. He did cast out demons, he taught things that blew some of their circuits. What they thought was right, Jesus came and taught it completely upside down. This was the guy that infuriated the scribes and Pharisees, for sure. This guy did things that no one ever else did. 
And so now they're finally getting rid of this guy. So I'm sure this was a, a more anticipated crucifixion than a normal one because of who was being crucified, at least from quite a few men and women's perspective. They're finally getting rid of this Jesus. Today's the day. He's on the way to the cross, right? Not only did Jesus do the things during his life, his miracles and stuff, but he had completed his trial. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit on, but yet he didn't retaliate at all. There was no harsh words coming out of Jesus. But rather love and forgiveness. And so now this is the guy that they're taking to crucify on a cross. And they didn't know it, but they were about to experience one of the most, one of the greatest moments in history of Jesus dying and then him rising again. So they're on the way to the cross, right? And they put him up on the cross. They have this, they put these three men up there, Jesus and the, and the two others, the criminals on each side. And then in verse 44, it says it starts getting dark. Now this is the middle of the day. It doesn't get dark in the middle of the day. I've never seen it dark in the middle of the day. I doubt they have either. But all of a sudden at 12 o'clock when it's supposed to be the brightest, it starts getting dark. So something is, is, is really going on here. This is, they've never seen anything like this before. It never got dark during the day. But it started getting dark. Verse 44 says, there was darkness over the whole earth. Not only that, verse 45 says the veil of the temple was torn in two. And I don't know how thick the veil was. I'm, maybe if you're a Bible scholar, you would know how thick the veil is. I don't know. But I do know it was a huge deal that the veil of the temple was completely torn in two. And now, so that was a huge deal. This was all happening within, I don't know if it was an hour or half an hour, when all this, how soon the veil of the temple was torn. But this was a big deal. So something major is going on here. Very major. They had never experienced anything like this before. Verse 47 says, When the centurion saw what had happened. Now this centurion, I don't know how many crucifixions he was part of, but I'm sure a lot. But this one was different. This was something he had never experienced before was, were these things happening. And he says, surely this was a righteous man. Now, this is a centurion. This guy has lots of authority. And he sees this situation. He says, okay, surely this was a righteous man. Uh, Matthew, Matthew and Mark uh, use the terms where, where he says, surely this was the Son of God. So he recognized Jesus was the Son of God. 
I don't think he was a Christian. I doubt it. But this was something where he was experiencing a God moment. Not only him. I think everyone close there was experiencing a God thing. Stuff that was just incredible. So they put Jesus on the cross. And they put two people on either side. And the one says, the one blasphemes and says, hey, Jesus, save yourself. And the other one says, Father, remember me when you come into your, my kingdom. And Jesus being in the middle, bleeding, suffering, lots of pain. Dehydration. Said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. No one had ever said that before on a cross. No one had ever said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do on a cross. That never happened before. what Jesus said in his pain in his torture in his very difficult moment he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing normal people don't do this normal people don't die on a cross like this this is like way outside of the box here what's happening with Jesus and his crucifixion but they're recognizing Surely, without a doubt, this is the Son of God. We want to look into verse 46, what Jesus' last words were and what Jesus said. Now, it said, when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit or I entrust my spirit Having said this, he breathed his last. Now notice here it says, Jesus said with a loud voice. Jesus shouted this. Now, I don't know about you. There's probably some of you here that have been really close or you've you experienced someone's uh, last words. Of someone here on earth. And you remember their last words, and rightly so. But normal people's last words are usually just, just so come out. Because they have no strength. They have, their, their life is about to go out. They can just so say the last words. And that's fine. But it wasn't the case with Jesus. It says Jesus shouted his last words. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So here again, no one had done this before on the cross. This was completely out of the box. And then he died. He didn't say a word after that. But he said it with no anger, no bitterness, no resentment, but love and compassion. 
And when I look at this, not only when I look at this, to me it's a reality. Uh, you may have heard the question of, some people may have, well, who killed Jesus? Or, you know, who took his life? My answer to that is nobody. He gave his life. There's a difference. Jesus makes it very clear. In John 10, verse 18, he says, he was talking about his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command have I received from my father. Jesus gave his life. It's why he came. They didn't take it from him. So Jesus shouting last words. Let's just look at this a little bit here on what Jesus said. Jesus' very last words. He says, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. So we're talking about trust here. And I look at this and I say, Jesus, this was the last thing that he did before he died. He said, Father, I entrust my spirit. I'm trusting you with this. And he just surrendered it to God. He trusted God. So first of all, let's look at this word. The first word that he uses, because let's just see a little bit what we can learn here from uh, Jesus' words of, of trusting here. The first word that he uses, he says, Father. He calls God his Father. This is very consistent with Jesus' life of him calling God his Father. The only time that I'm aware of that he didn't call him Father was when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm open to be corrected. If you see that different, let me know. I believe that's the only time where he called him God. All the other times were Father. Which back in that time, that rattled people's cages of having a relationship with God. Because when you have a father, when you talk about a father, you talk about a relationship. See, to them, they had gods. Well, you don't have relationship with gods. A stone, a temple, a little piece of wood or whatever, they made it. You don't have relationship with those people. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes into the scene, and he starts talking about God as his father. I think it messed with them. But it's okay. Because it's who... Our God is. He is a father. And Jesus called him time after time again. He says, Father. He uses that word. And there may be some of, for some people, when you think of father, you, know, you may think of your earthly father, and maybe you don't have, some people may have a great relationship with their father, maybe some don't. Unfortunately, maybe your father wasn't someone that you could trust. Maybe you never had a relationship with your father or a poor relationship with your father. And so when you look at the word father, when you think of father, it, it brings some hurt. It's possible. But I do want to tell you, that's not what your heavenly father is. That's not the father that we're talking about here this morning. 
We're talking about a father. We're talking about God. Who is caring. He is loving. He is constant. He is capable. He's a sustainer. And he loves you more than you will ever ever know. He loves you more than anyone on earth ever can. That's the father that we're talking about. A father that can be trusted. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I, I did have a father, but I just, I just couldn't trust him because of some of the things he did or some of the things he said or the way he acted. I, I just can't trust my father. Father that we're talking about this morning, your heavenly father is trustworthy. You can trust him. Jesus trusted him. He can handle what you're going through. Rick Warren says, inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. And I agree with that on an earthly level. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. But that's not the God we're talking about here this morning. Your heavenly Father God is secure, is constant, is faithful. He can always be trusted. He has a great track record. He's a good father. And there's nothing that he can't handle. Nothing. My dad has limitations. Your dad had or has limitations. Or had limited was limited. I'm limited as a father. But our Heavenly Father, what we're talking about this morning, you can trust Him with anything because He can handle it. There's nothing too big. So we see Jesus entrusting things to His Father. So we look at the word Father. It talks about a relationship. Our Heavenly Father wants a relationship with us. And we can call Him Father. Because that's who He is. So Jesus starts out that word and and He says, or that phrase, He says, Father. And then He says, into your hands I commit my spirit or I entrust my spirit. That was Jesus' last words. And we have Jesus, last thing that Jesus did on the cross was saying, Father, I trust you with my spirit. You're trustworthy. Now, I know a lot of us are going through a difficult time right now. A lot of hurts, a lot of pains. Things don't make sense. They look dark. They look difficult. And they are dark. Sometimes. But this was the exact thing that Jesus was in. Jesus was in an incredibly dark moment right now. He was hanging on the cross. He was bleeding. He was dehydrated. He was in enormous pain. This was a dark moment for Jesus. He knows what it's like to be in a dark moment. 
end, at this dark moment, is when he trusts. And I think it's what we need to do as well. In our darkest moment is the best time, the, 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 the most important time for us to trust. It's exactly what we have with Jesus here on the cross. He was trusting in his darkest moment. He says, Father, into your hands, I entrust your spirit. And when Jesus says this, when Jesus says, Father, I'm entrusting my spirit, he's saying this with full confidence, rock solid, no doubt that God can handle whatever I entrust to him because he can. He was saying that very confidently, and we can as well. When we choose to trust God, we can trust him complete confidence knowing that he can handle it and he can take care of it. And I think that's what happened here with Jesus. Trust is a choice. Trust doesn't just come naturally. We need to choose to trust. One of the things that opposes trust is worry. And we know what the Bible says about that. The Bible says time and time and time again, the Bible says not to worry, but to trust. Rick Warren, another quote from him I found interesting. He says, worry is practical atheism. Really? That's what he says. But he says it because if you worry, it's saying, I don't trust in God. I think that's a valid point. I, I didn't think of that before, but when you worry, you're saying you don't trust. Trust is a choice. We, we, I just mentioned that a little earlier. It doesn't just happen. Trust is something that's much easier said than done. We can say we'll trust and trust, but until we completely commit or trust the person or our Heavenly Father and do it, it's different than if you actually say it. And Jesus actually did it. So, wrapping this up here. Psalms 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. So it brings a question. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Where is your trust? Who are you going to trust? I mean, you could put all kinds of answers in there and say, you know what, this, thing, this week I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust the media. I'm going to build my life on what they say. It's not going to get you real far. But you can. I'm throwing out some things that you can if you choose to. How about popular opinion and what others think and say? Is that something you want to trust? Or do you want to trust your emotions? Oh, that's a good one. You're pretty close to your emotions. At least you should be. How reliable are they? 
How about someone that is loving, caring, knows everything, perfect, reliable, faithful, true, will not tell you a lie? How about trusting someone like that? I think you all know what I'm getting to. Is trusting our Heavenly Father is someone who can be trusted. And He can handle whatever we want to trust to Him. You won't find anyone else like that. There's no one else on earth that you can trust like your Heavenly Father. And when I was uh, just studying this, thinking of trust, trust is also it's something that I need to choose. You need to choose. You need to choose to trust. But it's not just something that is a once and done thing either. Last week I chose to trust, so it just automatically rolls into this week. No, that's not how it happens. Trust needs to be renewed and renewed and renewed. Father, I trust you with this. The next day, maybe the next hour, Father, I trust you with this. See, it's this relationship with our Heavenly Father, and it just keeps it alive and active when we keep renewing our trust and say, Lord, I trust you with this situation. I trust you with this situation. Father, I know you can handle it. Even sometimes I wish he'd swoop down and make everything just like I want it to be. Take away the pain, take away the difficulty. Sometimes I just, you know, wish that God would just, and just take it away. But that's not how God does. See, our story is still being written. My story and your story is still being written. It's not the final chapter yet. And God sees the whole thing. And so in difficult moments, what do we focus on? When I look at Jesus hanging on the cross in this difficult moment and he chose to trust, I see him focusing more on the Father than I do himself, than his physical pain. Because he says, Father, even though, I mean, I'm in this difficult situation, but I'm choosing to trust the Father. I'm choosing to put my focus on you even though I'm really, really hurting. So just wrapping this up here this morning, learning about trust. Our Heavenly Father is trustworthy. And even in the most difficult situations is where we can learn to trust and completely rest and say, Lord, I entrust this to you and he'll take care of it. He's your father. He's a father that cares exactly what you're going through. And he cares more than what anyone else on this earth would care about. 
or, or, or the level of caring that he has for you far out, far exceeds anyone else. And he can be trusted. So going from here this morning, let's learn to trust our Heavenly Father because he's trustworthy. Father, thank you this morning for who you are. Father, thank you for what Jesus did. In a very difficult, dark time, we see Jesus trusting you as his Father. Father, that's what I want each one of us to learn and each one here this morning and each one that's listening, Father, to learn to trust even when it's difficult. Thank you that we can call you our Father. Father, you're good. You care for us so incredibly. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for giving us second chances. We talked about second chances this morning in our men's group. Father, thank you for giving me a second chance. Thank you for redeeming us. Lord, I want to thank you for who you are. Thank you that you can be our Father. A perfect, good, loving Father. It's just amazing and awesome to know that we can trust you as our Father. You're so good. And so, Lord, this morning, thank you for being our Father that we can come, we can pour out our, our struggles, our fears, our fears, our failures, our worries. We can lay them at your feet. We can trust you with it, and we know that you can handle it. So, Lord, I pray that you would take us to a new level of trust, and specifically in trusting in you, and then also recognizing that you are our Father. You're good. I pray a blessing on each person that's here. Lord, as we go through this week, may this be a week of drawing close to you, closer to you, and then you'll draw closer to us. To us. We bless you and honor you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.